Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Exodus, chapter 15. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. God gives us grace and God gives us gifts and somehow, somewhere along the line, we start to think we deserve it. We start to think that, you know, it's our right. It's our, it's our right to receive the gifts of God. Listen, God gives what God gives because God chooses to give what God gives. Get CD. And it's not because you deserve it. It's not because you have a right to it. It's just because God loves us. He loves his kids. And just like you bless your kids with stuff, they don't deserve it. Matter of fact, more often than not, let's just get real. They don't deserve it. I'm the only one. Okay, fine. Unrealistic expectation, stage number two. Stage number three, bitter disappointment. As they got into the wilderness, it wasn't easy. It was bitter disappointment. Stage number four, ungrateful grumbling. These stages you'll see over and over and over and over again. We read the people complained, they grumbled, they murmured against Pastor Moses and the Lord. We'll talk more later. Stage number five, gracious gracious provision, gracious provision. Even though we don't deserve it, saints, listen, Even though we are still fussing and complaining, God provides us with all we need. Amen. Amen. And my God, Philippians says, shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So we see these cycles as we go through the book. And I'll, in a couple of weeks or so, I guess I'll remind you of them again The five-stage repetitive cycle in the wilderness. Stage number one, abundant blessings, unrealistic expectations, bitter disappointment, ungrateful grumbling, and stage number five, that's all God, gracious provision. That's God. Well, having said that, Exodus chapter 15, we pick up our study. I love this chapter. It's wonderful. It's beautiful. It's about praise and worship. Exodus chapter 15, we'll pick up tonight in verse 1. Saints, if you're with me, say amen. Amen. Then Moses and the children of Israel, note this, they sang this song, would you circle to the Lord? And they spoke saying, I will sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and its rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord, underline this, is my strength and is my song, and he has become my salvation. He is my God, 
and I will praise him. My father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. Underline that. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he has cast into the sea. He, his chosen captains also are drowned in the Red Sea. The depths. See, that's not an inch and a half of water. I wouldn't classify an inch and a half of water as the depth. And see, I point that out because there are some scholars, if you were here last week, you know, we talked about it. I won't go much into it tonight. But there are some scholars who say that they didn't cross the Red Sea. They crossed the Reed Sea. And at the point of the Reed Sea was the kind of shallowest point and, 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 the Egyptian army, they would have us to believe, drowned in an inch and a half of water. Let's see. Not. And over and over and over and over and over and over in the Bible, we are very clear. We are not talking about an inch and a half of water. Notice verse 5. The depths have covered them, not a swamp. They sank to the bottom like a stone. Listen, stop right there. Give me your attention. This chapter, if you're taking notes, this chapter is known as the Song of Moses. The Song of Moses. And this song is written, and I'm going to point it out tonight, is written like any other song in stanzas or verses. Like a verse to a song. Stanzas or verses. The first stanza we come to in verses 1 through 5, and you could title the first stanza, The Lord is a Man of War. Now listen, it's very, very common in those days, very common for a musician to write a song to commemorate a military victory of a king. Very, very common. So while they're walking along, we understand from our text, while they're walking along, Moses just starts singing this song to the king of kings, to the Lord. And think about it. I find it interesting that when they left Egypt, you know the story. When they left Egypt, they weren't singing. They were sighing. They weren't singing. They were groaning. They weren't singing. They were crying. They weren't singing when they were boxed in, they were complaining. And now in the time of victory, you notice that after having crossed the Red Sea, been delivered from the oppression of Egypt, now they sing a song of victory. You want to notice this song is being sung on the far side of the Red Sea. And the interesting thing, are you listening? The interesting thing about this song, it's the first time the word song is used in the Bible. Isn't that interesting? The first time the word song is used in the Bible. It's also the first, the first song recorded in the Bible. And very interesting, the last song recorded in the Bible is called the Song of Moses and the Lamb. Where's that found, Rodney? Keep your finger in Exodus 15. Turn to Revelation chapter 15. Check it out. This is interesting. I hope y'all getting something out of it. Amen. Look at this. Revelation chapter 15. Now, mind you, we're Exodus 15, the Song of Moses. Revelation 15, we find 
The last song sung in the Bible is called the Song of Moses and of the Lamb. Look at Revelation chapter 15 and look at verse 3. You see it? They sing the song of who? Moses, the servant of God. And the song of the Lamb saying, here's the song. Number one hit in heaven. Casey Kasem. Look at verse 3. Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the saints. See, it's a song. Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. For all nations shall come and worship before you. For your judgments have been manifested. But you notice, here we have in Revelation chapter 15, Notice they are not standing before the Red Sea. They're standing before the Crystal Sea. And not because they've been rescued from Pharaoh, but because they've been rescued and saved here in Revelation chapter 15 from the Antichrist. Very, very interesting. Now, jump back over to Exodus 15. The Song of Moses, I would encourage you, listen, I would encourage you to learn the words to this song, the songs in the scriptures. I would encourage you to learn the words. Learn to sing to the Lord. And even if your voice is, let's say, not a blessing, <laughs> the Bible says make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Some of y'all make noise. God likes it. It's okay with him. But we need to learn to sing Unto the Lord. Amen? Amen. We need to learn to sing unto the Lord. And you know, some people will tell you, they'll say, well, you know, I'm just not a worshiper. I'm just not a singer. You know, I'm just not that way. Well, listen, I'll tell you something. In in Revelation chapter 5, we don't have time to look at it. But you might want to start because start singing and start worshiping. Because in Revelation chapter 5, it's clear when you get to heaven, we're all going to be around the throne of God worshiping. You know that? We're all going to be worshiping the Lord. We're all going to be singing to the Lord and you should start learning to worship now because, you know, we could be caught up to heaven this week. And when you get to heaven, you don't want to be mouthing the words. (laughs) Amen. You know, you want to know the songs when you get to heaven, you want to know those songs. So it's important to start learning to worship now. Now get this. Remember, I told you there's two point approximately five million people who have come out of Egypt, have come into the wilderness, and 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 yet, and and they're all singing to the Lord. Can you imagine hearing that choir? I mean, we get impressed that there's like a two, three hundred voice choir. How about a two point five million man woman choir children? That's a lot of folks. And even in that number of people, get this, when we get to heaven and all God's people are in heaven, every nation, tribe, tongue, and people are in heaven, 2.5 million people singing to the Lord ain't going to sound like nothing. Because there's going to be millions and millions and millions and millions of people gathered around the throne singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That's a choir. We're the choir. That's a choir. Singing to the Lord. And so the song goes. We just read it. The Lord is my strength. The Lord 
is my song. Notice he doesn't say the Lord gives strength. We've pointed this out in the past. The Lord gives strength. He says the Lord is my strength. Do you see that? I love what Spurgeon says about this. He says, how strong is a believer? I say it with reverence, Spurgeon says. He is as strong as God. The Lord is my strength. God, the infinite Jehovah, in the infinity of his nature, is our strength. Remember, don't ask the Lord to give you strength. Ask the Lord to be your strength. God gives you strength, that means you're going to run out of strength. When you run out of strength, you'll be asking God to give you more strength. How about saying this, God, be my strength, my circumstance, my situation, my problem, my trouble, my Red Sea experience. God, be my strength. And you don't have to go back and ask for more strength. God will just be your strength. Notice he says, not only is God his strength, but he also says, the Lord is my song. He's my song. You know, someone once wrote this, and I like this. The Lord is the giver of our song. He breathes the music into, our, into the hearts of his people. He is the creator of their joy. The Lord is also the subject of our song. We sing of him and of all that he does on their behalf. And the Lord is the object of our song. They sing unto the Lord. Our praise is meant for him alone. Don't you love that? He's my song and he's my salvation. Isn't it interesting? Israel couldn't sing the Lord is my salvation until now. Did you notice that? They couldn't sing that until now. Before they saw the enemy dead, powerless and washed up on the beach, they couldn't say God is my salvation. But now they know God as one who saves because they have seen his salvation. You know, a lot of times God lets us go through things so that we can have a testimony and we can say, I know God is my salvation because he saved me. I know God is a healer because he healed me. That's why I reject totally, completely, vehemently the whole teaching of, you know, divine healing for every single person. If you're ever sick, you, sh- you know, you're in sin and you, you, you know, you, you just lack faith. And I reject that. Listen, sometimes God will allow you to be sick so he can heal you. Goodness. So you can say, I know him as a healer. You can't say that if you've never been saying. Good grief. And now they say he's my salvation because they know him as such. But they could not say that prior to this Red Sea experience. You understand? Say amen. amen. It's very important to understand that. You know, one of my favorite, here's my new favorite quote. Here's my new favorite quote. Corey Tamboon said this, you will never realize that the Lord is all you need until the Lord is all you have. Woo. That's good. You will never realize the Lord is all you need until you realize the Lord is all you have. That's great. And that's true. 
Well, notice they go on to say in the song, the Lord is a man of war in verse three. And there's a lot of people who don't like this verse, y'all. And, and, and they don't like the thought of God being a God of war. And, and they, you know, a lot of people like to think of God as a God of love. You know, God's got a love and he is. And God is a God of, you know, compassion. And he is. And God is a nice God. And he is. But listen, I thank God that God is a man, a God of war. Why? Because there's a lot of spiritual enemies out there that I need him to fight for me. You understand? So I thank God he's a man of war. He is a God of war because he's fighting for me and he's giving me the victory. Well, notice the second stanza of the song. I got to move on. Look at verse six. Your right hand, O Lord, has become glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, has dashed the enemy in pieces. And in the greatness of your excellence, you have overthrown those who rose against you. You sent forth your wrath. It consumed them like stubble. And with the blast of your nostrils, the waters were gathered together. The flood stood upright. How did God do it? With the blast of his nostrils, the waters were gathered together. The flood stood upright like a heap. The depth congealed. Remember I told you that means what? Make solid in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue. I will overtake. I will divide the spoil. My desire shall be satisfied on them. I will draw my sword. My hand shall destroy them. You blew with your wind. The sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Notice the second stanza, you could title it, you have overthrown those who rose against you. And so Moses says, God defeated their enemies. He says, your right hand is glorious in power and has dashed the enemy in pieces. Now the right hand in the Bible was thought to be, listen, the hand of skill and power. When God works with his right hand, it's a work of skill and it's a work of power. And we all know that God is spirit. We all know that God doesn't have a hand. But the Bible uses humans to try to explain God. And they call that an anthropomorphism. No, I'm not speaking in tongues. An anthropomorphism. So we're trying to describe God's power. We're trying to describe God's skill. So Moses says, your right hand, using the hand, like the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous. God is spirit. God doesn't have an eye or eyes. God doesn't have a nose, but he blew. You understand, these are anthropomorphisms. We are using it to try to explain God, the nature and character of God. And so Moses talks about God's right hand. The Bible has a lot to say about the right hand. Do you know 
This right hand is used more than 50 times in the Bible. Psalm 45, verse 4, God's right hand teaches us. Psalm 48, verse 10, God's right hand is full of righteousness. Psalm 77, 10, remembrance of the years of the right hand of the Most High. Psalm 1, pardon me, 110, verse 1, the Father invites the Son to sit at his right hand. Habakkuk, or Habakkuk, chapter 2, verse 16, the cup of God's judgment is held in his, you guessed it, right hand. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 20, Jesus is seated, where? At the right hand of the Father. So the Bible has a lot to say about the right hand, trying to describe God's power, God's strength, God's skill. But I love verse 8. Would you look at it again with me in verse 8? I love verse 8, and, and certainly I don't mean to sound uh, sacrilegious in my uh, following comments, but I love verse 8 because it tells us that God destroyed the greatest army in the world when he blew his nose. That's what it says. I mean, that's pretty amazing. That's all it takes to put down the enemy. All God needs to do is blow his nose. I mean, that'll put your problems in perspective. <laughs> We're going to leave that alone. Look at verse 11. You there? Say amen. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? I don't have time to like deal with every section here, so we'll, we'll just uh, get to what we can. Where was I? Okay. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Well, that's verse 11. I need some new glasses. Who is like you, glorious and holiness, fearful and praises, doing wonders? I read that. You stretched out your right hand. The earth swallowed them. You in your mercy have led forth the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them in your strength to your holy habitation. That's the third stanza, guys. And you could title that, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? If the people of Egypt still didn't know who the Lord was, we learn from this that Israel did. They knew the Lord was not like any other god. He was not like any of the false gods of Egypt or Canaan, the third stanza. Here's the fourth stanza in verse 14 through 19. The people will hear and be afraid. Sorrow will take hold of the inhabitants of Philistia. And that would be what? Who? The Philistines. The chief, then the chiefs of Edom will be dismayed. The mighty men of Moab, trembling, will take hold of them. And all the inhabitants of Canaan will melt away. Fear and dread will fall on them by the greatness of your arm. They will be as still as a stone till your people pass over, O Lord, till the people pass over whom you have purchased. Whom you have purchased, you will bring them in, in verse 17, and plant them in the mountain of your inheritance, in the place, O Lord, which you have made for your own dwelling, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord shall reign forever and ever, for the horses of Pharaoh went with his chariots and his horsemen into the sea, and the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them. But the children of Israel went on dry land in the midst of the sea. So the fourth stanza, the people will hear and be afraid. So when the Canaanites heard of what happened to the Egyptians, 
they were afraid and their hearts melted. The inhabitants of the land heard of the Egyptian army that was destroyed in the sea and the people heard that the cloud led them by day and the fire by night and the Canaanites, the unbelievers, they were afraid. And and, and notice here, I want to share something with you that we need to be clear about. God didn't do all this because they deserved it. We talked about that. God clearly brought them through the sea because of his grace. Psalm 106, verse 6 through 8. I love this psalm. It says, we have sinned with our fathers, making it clear. We have committed iniquity. We have done wickedly. Our fathers in Egypt did not understand your wonders. They did not remember the multitude of your mercies, but rebelled by the sea, the Red Sea. Nevertheless, here's God's grace. He saved them. Why, saints? For his namesake, that he might make his mighty power known. In other words, God brought them out of Egypt, not because they deserved it. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.